We should put another coat on this, though. <laughs> <laughs> We're recording. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome and welcome back to Dixon Politics. This is Samantha, uh, founder and uh, head writer of Dixon Politics. And I wanted to do a special little sort of offshoot episode as we're wrapping up 2018, going into 2019. There's a lot to think about. There's a lot to consider. I'm very excited to introduce you to my friend, Mike, who is currently working on his PhD. Mike, tell us exactly what are you getting your PhD in? What are you doing? So specifically, I work on microbial communities that affect climate change. Okay. Amazing. Mike is brilliant. Um, <laughs> and we're also sitting here, for those of you <laughs> wondering, for this special edition, we are in my living room and we are painting Mike's nails. Because why the hell not? So, Mike, last week we were talking to our listeners about the CO2 emissions report for 2019. And... I think myself, Adriana, and Corben all found it pretty alarming as three people who grew up in and around nature, especially Corben, who grew up in the North Pole of Alaska. We were discussing sort of the changes that we've seen over our lifetime, you know, 20 to 30 years. So I feel like when we go out and we hear these reports in the media, on the news, on Facebook, whatever, um, there's definitely a unified message, and that is that our planet is in desperate need of our help and attention and respect. But I'd like for you to talk to people about what's actually happening, why, and what, if anything, we can do to help out, slow things down, turn things around. Talk to us about that. So in terms of what we've measured, we've from the past, we see that there's a gradual increase in temperature and a gradual increase in carbon dioxide, carbon dioxide within the atmosphere. Okay. Which is, you know, I, I put this in quotations because you know it's natural. Yeah. We see that there's normal fluctuations. Right, and I said in my last in in the last episode that our planet does go through these sort of fluctuations, and we go through these climate cycles, and that's normal. But what you were saying to me before was the rate at which they're occurring is not normal or it's not something we've recorded before to be more accurate. Yeah, so the rate at which we are recording CO2 increasing and the temperature of um, planet Earth are increasing at a rate that we've never seen before. Okay. And that is the big issue, right? The amount of time that is occurring at which the temperature is increasing is not quick enough for planet Earth to recover. Okay. Right? And so it's not even planet Earth as a whole, right? We're talking about, like, the plants to recover. Right. The animals to recover, right? So, I mean, people think, you know, evolution occurs, like, either quickly or, um, you know, very slowly. But, like, you need generations to occur, mm -hmm. right? So for a plant to be able to adapt adapt yeah adapt to a specific temperature right it's going to need multiple generations for that specific right you know trait to pass on but because it's happening within 10 years you know 10 or 20 years that's one generation in a plant that's right. not enough time for you know an entire population to increase mm -hmm. um and i think we're seeing it now yeah in terms are. of i mean in the more in especially the regions around the equator where you know temperatures are much more are much warmer Held a lot higher than they were yeah exactly you know 
I don't know if I could say this. Yeah, we swear on our podcast. Go yeah, for it. Okay, all right, good. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so, like, the entire Syrian situation occurred because of a drought that was directly caused by global warming. And, like, that's one thing that I'm really passionate about, especially because I've experienced that in my lifetime. Right. And that was happening in, like, a very... I don't want to say a poor region, but like a less fortunate region than mm-hmm. here in America. And that is only going to happen to us, mm-hmm. you know? So I think in terms of the validity of global warming, that question is over and done with. Okay. We understand. We see what's happening. We get it. Yeah. As scientists. And we also get it as a population. And... Total anecdote to that. I think, you know, even with President Trump being like, oh, yeah, global warming's not happening. Well. Well, <laughs> his, his, you know, he said okay to the funding that I received right? <laughs> to do my PhD in global warming. So. <laughs> okay. So tell us, I think there's a lot of, there's just so much information out there. And I feel like myself included, I have trouble sort of sorting through what's fact, what's fable, but more so, I think myself, a lot of my friends and a lot of our listeners want to know what we can do to help. So this is a question I posed to another friend of mine who is a marine biologist, and every few months he'll go off, he'll save as many whales as possible, you know, he'll come back, take a breather and go back out and do it again. I want to talk to you, and I don't know if this is your area of expertise, but I'd like to ask you, So I noticed in 2018 that a big initiative on social media as well as on the news was cleaning out the ocean. Could you possibly speak on how much of the litter in the ocean is coming from people littering and just being negligent and how much of it is coming from people who are actually taking the time to bring their trash cans out to the end of the driveway, to go to their local dump, uh, to compost. I'd really like to get a feel for, like, what exactly is that? Because, yes, it's a problem. I know that. And so here's what my friend said. He said that um, a lot of it has to do with um, cruise ships uh, just dumping their garbage right into the ocean. It has to do with other giant barges from other parts of the world that are just throwing things overboard. But he did say something very interesting. He said that if everyone in the world right now started recycling properly and really taking care of their waste, we could reverse this. Do you have any insight for that? I... I don't, you know, this is probably going to be totally against what he's saying. Mm -hmm. No, go for it. But for for singleton people Mm -hmm. to actually have an effect on what's currently going on, I don't know if there's actually enough evidence to say that, you know, you at home, Joe Schmo can actually really affect climate change. Mm -hmm. And I think that is actually detrimental in and of itself. Okay. Because I think, you know, everybody should be doing every single thing they can do, Mm -hmm. you know, to prevent climate change, to prevent pollution. But how crazy statistic I think I heard is like 80% 
mm-hmm. of all of this pollution is coming from corporations. Oy. Yeah, right? So, like, I mean, you know, even if everybody does everything they can, that's only 20% of the problem, yeah. which I think in no matter what field you work in, but like a 20% decrease or a 20% increase isn't really that great. What if we localize things? Does shopping local and buying things from local farms, does that help at all? Yes and no. Okay. Okay. I think this is, you know, we're getting a little bit more into not my expertise, but like just looking or thinking about sort of like... Let's just talk about it The globalization of things. I I don't want to say it, it... it does and it doesn't okay. because we've become such a global species mm-hmm. and like we, I mean, you know, we import things and we export things and like a lot of those goods that we're exporting and importing, we can't live without. Right. Right. So. I know it's tough because, I, you know, for me, I can see. Uh, it might be easy, no matter really where you are now, farmer's markets are everywhere. So I know very easily that I can absolutely get fresh fruits and vegetables from a farmer's market, whether I'm here in New York City or I'm back home in New England, I can do that. But um, can I get the jars that I use to put all of my you know, container-free products in? Locally, no. <laughs> do, do I know a glass blower? Uh, yes. Does he make glass jars? No. Do I know someone who's going to make all those wonderful little cotton or linen satchels that I need to bring again to the grocery store to put my oatmeal or my rice in? No. That's something I still need to get either at Whole Foods or at Amazon or something. So I completely see where you're coming from. Um, I mean, it's frustrating for me. I mean, you saw my kitchen. I have three different garbage cans in my kitchen. Adam and I are trying our best (laughs) to compost and recycle and do all these different things. But it does very much feel like an uphill battle. So can you talk to us a little bit about um, what the science community is doing to, um, I think, as you said, the message is out. Something needs to be done. Things are happening much faster than they should be for evolutionary purposes. So what is the scientific community doing to now sort of push forward, um, whether it's their discovery or push forward alternatives and then get them out into the mainstream? I, I do feel like there's a little bit of a, a wall between scientists and the rest of the population. Um, you know, it, it can be, it, I think, science, like yourself, <laughs> sometimes it, it is, I find you as my friend, if I ask you a question, you hop right into scientific terms, and I'm sitting there looking know, at you over my glass of whiskey, <laughs> like, can you pretend that I'm eight years old and say it again? Yeah. So I know that, that your community is very much aware that things need to change, so tell me what you guys are doing um, to make those changes happen, and then how you'll take those discoveries and find a way to just mainstream them so that we can all be included in the conversation. I So I think I wanna, before I actually get into my answer to that, I just wanna start with sort of an understanding of what we understand and what we are trying to do and trying to figure out actually does require a certain level a very technical thinking. Sure. Um, so, you know, I'm going to pull the 
it's the 21st century. We understand a Do lot. It. We understand a lot more, mm-hmm. right? So to understand, right, all these processes that are going on and to understand how to actually tackle these problems, you require a lot of different pieces. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously, you know, we don't expect every single person to understand all the intricacies of it. But I think it's it's almost the trust that needs to be taken okay. into it. I'm that's Ooh, let's get into psychology. Let's do it. That's my right? thing. Right? That's like, you know, it's social norming. <laughs> yeah. Let's go for it. Well, Absolutely. Right? I mean, going totally sidetracked, but it's like, you know, when you are sick, mm-hmm. okay? Right? Like you should probably not consult WebMD or consult no. Google for a diagnosis. <laughs> That's a, you know, a four minute search on Google that, you know, somebody who went through four years of medical school or anywhere from three to or end three to seven years of residency, obviously is much more experienced and knows like all of the things that go into it, you know, um, so in terms of science, getting, you're right, right, right. it does need to be, no, 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 it's fine. So I think what you're trying to say is when it comes to scientific discoveries and how to apply those to our own awareness, understanding, and ultimately our action as, you know, individuals, um, how, God, I mean, how do you guys play? I'm asking you to speak on behalf of the entire scientific community yeah, all around right, the right. world. <laughs> As we're sitting here painting your nails and I'm in sweatpants, it's about one o'clock in the morning on a Friday night. About a bottle deep. Yeah, but why not? But tell me about, you know, trying to get rid of that fear, trying to get rid of that feeling of, um, oh, will scientists feel as if they're superior to us? I, I don't really think that's how you guys feel. I think it's more, let us figure out what's going on and then let us tell you exactly what's happening and what you can do to help. So... Yes. I think I'm going to shift into something I'm a little bit more comfortable Yeah, in, go for it. To, right? So as, as a microbiologist, I really understand how microbes or bacteria affect planet Earth. Mm-hmm. Right? So one of the big numbers I love throwing around is, you know, 90% of the biomass on planet Earth come from microbes. Okay. Can you explain exactly what biomass is? Yeah, so biomass literally means weight of carbon. Okay. Right? So when you see, you know, all the humans, right? I think we're at what, 8 billion at this point? Maybe 7 billion. I don't even know. Right? 7 billion people. You have elephants. You have large trees. That seems like a lot because you can see with your eyes. But when you actually look at what is stored in the ocean and what is stored in the soil and what is stored in, you know, especially our waste Mm -hmm. in terms of microbes actually conducting, you know, processes, that is what makes up majority of the processes going here on Earth. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even though we can't see them with our naked eye, they run the planet. You know, I, the human microbiome and the gut microbiome, that is big. Everybody Mm -hmm. loves talking about that now, right? We've shown that, you know, the Bacteria in your gut relate to how heavy you are. They relate to mm-hmm. if you have cancer. Relates they to relate to if you have asthma. They relate to your mood. They Everything. relate to all these things, right? We're really realizing that, like, the stuff inside of us, the yeah. organisms, do affect how we act. Everything is connected. 
every, I mean, literally every function of our body is connected and people think even something. I don't want to say everything. Well, no, but like, (laughs) think of it like, you know, especially here in New York City, like if you go and you, you, you go touch the subway and then you rub your eye, you are exposing yourself to a lot. And I think like, we don't, you again, it's very, very hard. I think for many people, if they can't see it, they can't touch it, they can't hear it, taste it, smell it, whatever, and that sensation is not that immediately, we forget that it still has a huge effect on us. Like, I'll give you a perfect example. I did an experiment, which is kind of gross, but I thought of this a few years ago, and I thought, why not give it a go? So I get really bad colds, like most people do, right? So I would just sort of continue to shower, brush, floss, uh, you know, launder my, my clothes as normal. And my cold would last for, you know, seven days or so. I'd be knocked off my ass for a total of 10 and then I'd be ready to go. But I then did an experiment where when I felt a cold coming on, I flossed my teeth twice a day, brushed them three times a day, um, used hand sanitizer, left my pillowcases and my, my pajamas like as is, but took like special care of my actual body itself, I was able to either fend off a cold entirely by doing that, or it came for like a day and then it was gone. You know, tons of water, all that stuff. So, you know, just to, again, just to use it as an example, I think we do forget that we are all connected and everything affects pretty much everything else. So go back to talking about, especially what's happening in the soil. Yeah, so um, yes to the soil, but let me quickly do a side thing because to get back to the pollution. Mm -hmm. So we've all heard about the, you know, massive plastic. Yes. You know, heaps. Problem. uh, Mm -hmm. Within the ocean. Mm -hmm. So this group at, um, mm, God, I can't remember and I really should cite them because they did a fantastic (laughs) job. Um, before your Side thesis. note, anecdote, we should totally <laughs> add their name into this. Um, but so long story short, they actually went to these plastic um, saturated waters okay. in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And they sampled the water and looked for microbes that were mm-hmm. thriving in it, right? Mm-hmm. What they were able to find is a large group of organisms that are, are living in there, right? So when you think of something living in like, you know, your recycling bin. You don't really think of anything living in there, right? right. You, but it, they are. <laughs> it's it, right? There, there's a lot of things living in there. But they've also shown that these microbes living within those... Um, oh, I should probably come up with these. I mean, let's say, for example, um, one of those plastic gas thing, you know, where you put your gas in and then your dad brings it home to put it in the tractor. Yeah, so that's floating say, around in the let's water. Let's say your dad's plastic gas t- container right. has now blown out of your front yard and somehow tumbled down the street and made it into the ocean. Right. And it's there for 10 years. It's there, there for 10 years. living on it? So... In it. There's, there are particular type of heterotrophs. Okay. So when I say the word heterotroph, I mean something that can eat a complex carbon, right? So we mm-hmm. in and of ourselves are heterotrophs, right? Mm-hmm. We eat carbons that are are chains, mm-hmm. okay? So, so what we breathe in, what we put in our body, that's how we're not what Not what we breathe in, what we eat, right? Okay. So th- think about like bread, okay? right? Bread has, you know, lots of 
people don't like to hear it, but bread is sugar, right? Bread is yes. of sugar. <laughs> bread is sugar linked together, right? So think about, and that is what that is what plastic is. Plastic is just a different form of that sugar linked together. Mm-hmm. So there's these microbes that actually that can actually access this plastic, mm-hmm. this plastic sugar, and they eat it. Right, So there's actually microbes that have evolved, whether or not they've been around forever, whether this is very new and happened within, you know, our lifetime, but they're actually able to break down plastic. Okay. And we found these where there are a lot of plastic. Mm -hmm. So, you know, whether or not we've played a role in their evolution is another question. Okay. But, you know, planet Earth or the microbial life here on planet Earth has decided, hey, here's this massive source of food that we don't have access to. Somebody should go in there and eat it. So am I to understand, and this is something that I've wanted to ask you for a while, like that just like science will find a way, Earth will find a way, life will find a way to put things back into its proper balance. Ish. I know that's a very, very bold question. I agree with okay. what you say, but I just have a problem with putting it back to its normal balance. Okay. I think the, the word normal is probably too much of a stretch. Okay. I think it's more of like it'll bring it back to a balance. Okay, so... Right? There's all these microbes that are living in this plastic, which obviously, like, we cannot have the animals eating this any longer. But it's there. But it's there. It's an acceptance. We just have to accept there's tons of it. Yes, that it's there. So whenever it does restore some sort of a a balance or some sort of an existence, I mean, is it going to negatively affect us? Will it positively or will it not affect us? Is it going to change the way that... um, I mean, I don't even know how to say this in an eloquent way because I have a degree in tap dancing and early childhood education, (laughs) so I can't speak your language. But, you know, am I to understand that essentially like a new, a new balance will be in existence? Like, tell me like what, like, what does this mean? Because, okay, so let me. What does this mean? That's a good thing. You were just with NASA a couple of weeks ago. Yesterday. This Yesterday. morning, actually. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, you guys, for our listeners out there, and I know that this is this is way outside of the norm for dicks and politics, <laughs> but like I said, our main goal is to be conversation starters, so let's fucking talk about it. Uh, you were just with NASA, right? And one of the big things, oh, well, you know what? In 30 years and 100 years, we're all going to have to hop on a spaceship and move to Mars. I mean, is that... I, I don't even want to put that claim, not like, is that true, but like, with all of these evolutions happening at a microbial level, will human life be able to sustain? Will we experience an extinction? Do we not know? Are we going to have to all buy air filters and wear like oxygen masks? I mean, I just feel like... <laughs> So much of like our humor, our our social uh, norming, societal humor has gone towards. Well, we're all fucked anyway, so let's just keep living our lives and bing bong around. But tell me, like, um, you know what I mean, though. I know what you're saying. Like, and I am level. Like, what does yeah, this mean for humanity? Right. So, ah. Uh, I know it's a loaded question. Why don't you ask me a bigger question? <laughs> I'm sorry. Hey, Mike, just Again. answer everything and all at once. I need you to. Speak 
speak on behalf of the entire scientific community. From and like humanity coast in general. To coast. Yeah. Right. I think ah, uh, good question. Well So we've already all right, so let's do a recap. We've already established that yes, we should continue as individuals, we should continue to do everything we can to shop and source locally and recycle and do all that good stuff. And I'm gonna stop you there real quick. Mm-hmm. Yes, because that is going to change societal norms. Yes. And that's what we need. Okay. Right? So as of right now, individual efforts don't mean anything, but accumulation of all these people doing everything Mm -hmm. is going to change the way society runs. Great. And the way that industry runs. However, no matter what we do, whether we do it, we don't do it, we think about it, we dream about it, whatever. Right. These microbes are still going to keep doing whatever the hell it is that they're doing. So... What, I mean, what does that mean for us? What does it mean for our planet? If you had to project this out, uh, you know, a hundred years, do you guys know yet? Do you have a, you know, a, what the hell is it called? What the? A hypothesis? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. I was <laughs> going to say like a surmise. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I think. Pour me another whiskey. <laughs> so funny, funny you brought that up. So. Right, I just got back from AGU or the American Geochemical Union Conference. Bye. And, <laughs> Jeez. Right, so um, I just got back <laughs> from CVS. <laughs> Anyways, right. Continue. So the one common theme over the past five days has been. Wow, okay, right, we have all accepted climate change is happening, Mm -hmm. but we're still in this stage of how does that affect all of these different components, Mm -hmm. right? So a lot of presentations and a lot of research is being done on how does drought affect whole ecosystems in terms of the amount of trees that are there Mm -hmm. and and the amount of crops that we can grow or in the amount of water that's evaporating. So I think what's going to happen within the next hundred years, as dark as this sounds, right? Like we are still in the early stages of, right? We went from, okay, yes, we see this phenomenon happening. We get that it's happening. We understand it. What's going to happen, right? So we're in that stage of like, How is this going to affect life on Earth? Mm -hmm. And then from there, then once we know what is going to happen, Mm -hmm. we can then plan and adapt and change how to prevent that from affecting our lives. Okay. Yeah, so... (sighs) So what's going to happen? It's the jury's still Within the next hundred years, everything's going to be fine. One would hope. Ideally. Well, right, like... Again, getting totally off track, but we, I think, uh, I've calculated it. I think by the time I'm 54. Okay, and you're 28 now. Oh, 27. How dare I'm you? I'm sorry. That I'm whole so- year makes a <laughs> difference. <laughs> I heard you earlier, and I heard you go, I think I found my first grade the other day. And I'm like, I'm not even going to, I'm just going to oh, stay in the kitchen. That was tough. That was tough. Um, but yeah, in the next hundred years, what do you think? What does right, so think? I think technology, as much as everybody wants to say it's ruining us, that is the only thing that's going to save us. Absolutely, that is the I only agree. thing that's going to save us. I mean, 
all of this research... I work for a software company, by the way, and I completely agree. Right, like, all of this research and all this information that we're finding out is done by computers. Yep. We don't know any of this, and we don't know how to fix any of this without computers calculating these this massive amount of data. I am so glad I... Okay, for... For privacy reasons, I will not name the company that I work for, but you would be so impressed if, if you knew about this company. And I'll give you a very brief overview. Basically, when there's some sort of a crisis for a brand, like for example, remember when Pepsi did that disastrous Kendall Jenner commercial <laughs> and everyone was like, are you even serious? That's what companies come to us for. And the reason why they come and work with my company is because we don't just look at things like we don't do like when we do our analyzation it's not just at like a document level we do it like we look at precision and we look at recall we really look at the data and we calculate it and we find that sweet spot so that we can really get to the root of how people are truly feeling, what their perception or impression is, and then of course, how to move forward from there. And the reason why companies come to us for things like that is because we can give them the right data. And that's not tooting my own horn. I mean, these are not only in the scientific community, but for big brands and things like that, it is important to really look at the data in its cleanest, most robust form at scale and at speed so that we can push forward. So I'm so glad you said that about technology. Please forgive me. If anyone from my company is listening to this podcast, which I have a feeling a couple of you might, I've only been with the company a week. I'm still learning how to talk about it. But um, the work that we do is, is tremendously powerful, and I'm glad that you are erring on the side of advocating for technology we, because we, we need its help yeah, at no, this point. We, we live in the age of big data. Mm-hmm. And... That's just, again, another acceptance and letting computers, robots, Mm -hmm. algorithms process that for us. We can't do that. We can't do that. Run the data. Run the numbers. Exactly. Let us find that pattern for us without our interference Mm -hmm. so that we can... And without bias, which is also extremely important. That's what my company does. So that we can act appropriately. Because, right, when you have people just, like, making up things and acting on things that they believe based on nothing, that's where you run into danger. The chances of them being absolutely right and making the right chances, I don't know know what that percentage is, Mm -hmm. but... Might as well cross all your T's and dot your right. I's in terms of... I think my company increases um, just accuracy by, I think, 80 to 90% in most cases. Which, you know, with data, you really don't want to take a huge chance. And I think, again, that goes for corporate, that goes for brands, it goes for science, it goes for a lot of things. So, um, so I love that. So tell me, I, I want you to have a chance to sort of plug what you're doing and what you're oh, writing yes. your, Let me talk about your thesis me. on. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but pretend that we're all, you know, five years old. Okay. Water it down. What exactly are you uh, trying to prove right now with your studies and your thesis? And what is your hope for the outcome of this being true? Yes. So um, I'm still very early on, right? We are talking about month five of my PhD. Mm-hmm. So still very early on because most people <laughs> it takes five years. <laughs> but I think in terms of my project, right? So 
again, we're still in that stage of trying to figure out how climate change, how climate change and what is climate change going to actually affect. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the Amazon jungle, mm -hmm. right, there are these large regions of it um, called the peatlands, which are basically just marshes, right? Yep. They're basically just lots of vegetation soaking in water. Mm -hmm. What? Same. <laughs> <laughs> that was a high five uh, for those of you who, are, <laughs> who are not here in the room. <laughs> um, right? So what we've known, what we can tell from satellite data, again, processed all by computers. Thank you. Right? So what we've seen is that 30% of methane emissions Oy. and methane absorption is coming from these peatlands within the Amazon jungle. Wait, so both emissions and absorption. Okay. And it's a very seasonal situation. Okay. Right? So in the summer months when it's much warmer, they mm -hmm. release much more methane. And in the winter months, they absorb much more methane. Got so... What we see is, oh, and side note, methane is a greater greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. And methane comes from cow poop, right? That's one source that's of one it. Source of yeah, it. Yeah, that's one the source of it. And also the And the peatlands. And every time you fart, there's, there's <laughs> methane. Shit. But, but, but most of that is coming from the Amazon jungle. <laughs> okay. Um, so, right. So what you're seeing is. Right. So what we're seeing is that this area where you see this massive amount of flux in methane, mm -hmm. right? People have correlated it to the plants within the region. Okay. But... That makes sense. There's also, right, I talked about it earlier, how microbes make up majority of the biomass. So there's a very large amount of microbes living within this environment okay. that actually produce and release this methane. Okay. So what I want to look at is basically reconstruct these microbial communities in the lab mm -hmm. and then change, right, sort of the moisture content, okay. right, in terms of the uh, planet getting warmer, mm -hmm. right, increase the temperature in terms of, like, temperature mm -hmm. increasing as well in terms of um, pH increasing. Okay. Are you trying to regulate so it's more consistent? I, so or are you trying to predict? I'm trying to predict, right? Okay. So if I can see that if by changing these parameters – more or less methane is produced mm -hmm. than I could say over the next hundred years. Aha, uh -huh, okay. As the temperature increases, mm -hmm. the Amazon jungle peatlands are going to either increase in methane mm -hmm. release or decrease in methane release. Okay, so how does this affect, silly question, but how does this affect our planet? I mean, I know this, is you just said, it's a, right, it's yeah, a yeah. huge effect. Um, right. Well, I mean... How will it affect? Will so, we be right, able to uh, see it. Will it, it reach us here in North America? Definitely, right. So, getting back to the rate, right. So, if you're increasing the amount of um, molecules that will increase the effect of global warming, mm -hmm. then you're only going to increase that rate even more. Or if you're releasing less, then you're going to slow it down. Okay. So again, getting back to the rate of what's happening. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I know you want to. And I, I don't want to divulge too much, just in case some of your academic competitors are listening. Um, oh, they don't have the they don't have the resources I have. <laughs> Girl, all right. Um, Lucky in the in the lab that I chose, but but um, what you're basically trying to prove is that this not only can be can be proven and that it's real and quantifiable, but also that there's a way you can manipulate it. Yes. I think right down the stream, once 
I've, you know, whether I've, right, there's two possibilities, Mm -hmm. right? My hypothesis is that there will be a change in methane production within this microbial community Mm -hmm. over the course of global warming or Mm -hmm. during global warming. Whether or not that's an increase or decrease, that will determine sort of the next measure in which we take. Got it. So, okay. Yeah. So could you tell us something that we like to talk about on Dicks and Politics is, again, we are just flooded all the time every day with so much information. And I find more often than not that people really are looking for a way to help and get involved. Are there any scientific organizations that people could um, look into that are able to publish copy that's understandable? That's my first question to you. Have you found any that, that are good? In terms of outreaching, uh, it's tough. Okay. I will say that there, this is, you know, has become, especially with the age of the mm-hmm. internet, this has become super apparent that there is a huge disconnect in what scientists produce and release and what the general public can understand. Okay, so I, um, I'll talk specifically about, let's think about um, The Insider or BuzzFeed or um, I, I think there's another one that I'm, that's escaping my mind. They're really, really good about putting out these short videos about two minutes long that sort of say, scientists have discovered blank. This is coming from blank. Here's what it means. Here's how you can help. Uh, have you found any sort of like mainstream media sources that are good about that information? I will say that the I like to go to the source of where these studies are being published. Okay. So there's a journal called Nature. There's a journal called Science. There's a journal called Cell. And they have blogs mm-hmm. that anybody can access. Okay. The, all of this is free. You can access And it's them. all on websites. And- it's all on websites. Okay. And these are people who have trained for the past 10 years mm-hmm. how to convert these very complicated studies and the results that they've generated mm-hmm. into something understandable by the public. Okay. So I think, you know, everybody loves BuzzFeed. I love BuzzFeed. Everybody loves, mm-hmm. like, the New York Times. Everybody loves all these you know, mainstream mm-hmm. media. But if you want to go deeper, then these are the things you should I don't even, I, w- I, I want to even say deeper. I want to say an actual understanding of okay. it. Okay. Because I think, right, so a lot of these companies that are letting these things out are very, you know, this is what they found. They're, they're uh, what's the term? Caption heavy? Yeah. Or like. Yeah, it's clickbait. It clickbait, exactly, mm-hmm. right? And that's, you know, that's not even science. That's just fucking... That's just marketing. That's just internet. That's right. Like, <laughs> yeah. everybody's just like, that's oh, great. <laughs> let me just click on that because that's that'll cure everything. What right? about things like, um, I know, I mean, I personally, I follow National Geographic. I follow... Uh, that's well, another very good resource. Yep, I follow resource, the Discovery yeah. Channel. Um, I follow uh, World Wildlife Foundation. Um, and, and these are all places that I go to, to get... Uh, some very digestible facts about what's going on. Do, do you follow those as well? I don't follow those. And I think that, again, getting back to one of the main issues with like academia and, mm-hmm. you know, hardcore science is that there's a complexity of what we do. Yeah. And to understand that and to progress your own career and to progress your own knowledge of that field, 
you do need to focus more on the more complex mm -hmm. information out there. No, but I, I, I want to know, are there, so, all right, you're a little bit, you're not totally confident in any sort of media outlets that are mainstream. You want to encourage us to go look at the other ones that you mentioned. Are there any scientific nonprofit organizations that accept donations um, that, that could help? I mean, you know, so, and again, this, I hate to bring it back to not your area of expertise, but I was asking my friend who's a marine biologist, I said, look, I'm always getting in my feed, oh, donate to this, oh, buy this bracelet, and we're going to donate 10% to this. I don't do it because I, I want to make sure that my money is going to the right place. So who, if, you know, we get our tax return or we get a little, get a little commission, have a little, you know, $10 we want to donate. Are there any organizations, scientific ones, that could really use our donations as well as our attention? So I'm going to make this really easy. Yes, Because do this is, this is something I'm full hearted, or full heartedly, have an under, have wholeheartedly have a, wholeheartedly, is that what we're calling yep. it? Is that what it is? I it's wholeheartedly. Whatever. Okay. Um... <laughs> This is something I, I, I do know a lot about and I've researched. So as much as everybody likes to say they like to give money to the March of Dimes and all these things Bing for bong, cancer, mm -hmm. people don't understand that medical research is so grossly overfunded, it's yeah. not even funny. Mm -hmm. And it's the reason why we're not seeing these massive you know, cures or treatments or anything, we need time, mm -hmm. right? Like there's just not enough people to spend all this money. We don't have enough patients to actually right. go through these trials. Well, no, it's it interesting requires, you say yeah. that because in, so our episode that's coming out, which will probably come out right around the time your interview comes out. When I did my interview with Nicole for when I knew, um, we were talking about the organizations that absolutely helped her and what she's still involved in. But something that I think a lot of people don't realize is it's great if you can give blood, but you know what else you can give? Platelets. And it doesn't cost you any money. You know, and it it's, is blood. It's, it's well, it's blood, <laughs> but like it doesn't like, you know what I mean? It's not like, oh, donate $50. Oh, I'm doing a 10K race, you know, do this, that, and the other, which of course is all lovely. And I'm not discouraging right, you from right. doing that. But, you know, as you said, the medical uh, scientific community is overfunded. So with that said- I don't want to say overfunded. They deserve all the funding oh, they absolutely, need. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But, but if, you, if you were looking for other causes to get involved in and the medical doesn't really sort of ring a bell with you, where could people contribute funds or attention I would, for science? Right. They should focus more on environmental. Okay. Um, like who? Sort of. Oh, good question. I don't even know. <laughs> who funds me? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Trump. <laughs> uh, no, actually the National Science Foundation funds me that. Oh, that was good. I plugged that. That's there you go. Good. The oh. NSA. Wait. That no, NSA. 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 Oh, that was Who's good. Who's the NSA? National Science Association? Is that a thing? They probably also give funding. I don't well, even know. I would hope so. <laughs> they better. We need we need more. No, but I think like in terms of when they ask you for money to save the pandas, 
please give the money to the pandas. Oh, please. Yes. Because honestly, the pandas have no funding. But if they ask you for money for like breast cancer, breast cancer is so much money. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. There's, yeah. it's, and I, 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 my tone makes it seem like I'm angry with them. I'm not. It's no. just, it's a top heavy situation. Yeah. Right? Like, we keep throwing things at it, but they don't have enough people to spend it. Yeah. And they don't have the, they don't have the resources to actually use all of it. So it really should be shifted towards okay. an even spread. Right? Sure. Like, Absolutely. No, I totally get that. And again, in it, I want to be careful about this. We, we are not discouraging you. From, yeah, we should say we are not experts. No, but we're also not discouraging you <laughs> from, from putting your time, your thoughts, and your money to what means the most to you. But I do know that there are many people out there who um, maybe aren't so emotionally connected to these organizations that do receive a lot of funding. So we want to give you options. I mean, again, the whole point of Dixon Politics is to start conversations and and it's to give people a broader view of the world so that we can be informed and make our own decisions based off of that. So Mike, thank you very much for agreeing to do this. Oh, Spur God. the moment, I was right in the middle of painting your nails. <laughs> we have to get back to we that. We started talking about microbes and I said, let we me We only have phone. one coat on it, by the way. <laughs> So, um, ladies and gentlemen, our listeners, I want to thank you very, very much for tuning into Dixon Politics and for supporting us in our early days. Uh, as we point out, we're almost at 100 organic followers, which I know doesn't seem like no, a, lot, a lot, but we found a really cool pocket of people that are interested in what we have to say. They slide into our DMs, uh, they're sharing it with their friends, and I think we're getting to a point where we have some momentum. So, thank you so much for listening. Um, let's start 2019 with regular segments from Mike. I would be tickled if you would do that. Um, I have no money, I can't pay you, but I mean, I let you sleep on my couch this is and I fun. paint your nails. This is fun. <laughs> but I also think it might be good for you to sort of talk it out with someone who's not uh, so much of an academic. Well, this, you know, I, I do want to say this. It's science as a whole needs to learn how to communicate, communicate to the public. Yeah. So I think I even if I could do my small part in, I don't know, in trying, whatever. trying my hardest mm -hmm. in a drunken state to <laughs> express. To break that barrier to break and that express barrier. what's exactly, important yeah. to you and to your colleagues. I think it is very important. So we need to name your segment. Oh, God. What the hell? What's catchy? Mm. Yeah, let's put me on the spot. <laughs> like, I like microbes with Mike. <laughs> I like microbes with Mike, but I could do microbes with Mike. Or like, like Mike's microscope. Mike's microscope, actually, because that's like sciencey. Like, that's we, science why don't we just call it microscope? But we're gonna spell it like Mike. Oh my god, I love the yes. Hand, I burned that one. Amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, then please join us again. We're gonna. I think maybe we'll do this every two months or so. Okay. Does that sound good to you? Yeah. Is that doable? Cool. So please join us for another <laughs> edition of microscope. 
by Dixon Politics. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Happy New Year. Take very good care. And we'll be speaking with you soon. And have a good New Year's. Yeah. Yeah. You'll hear from us next year. February. Let's do it up. Done. Valentine's Day? (laughs) I'll be single then, so. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in to Microscope by Dixon Politics. My name is Samantha. And I'm Mike. And we want to wish you all the best for a very happy and healthy new year. We look forward to speaking with you again soon. Bye. Bye.